Okay, good morning again. We're going to have the Bible readings now and there's two readings this morning, one from Colossians and one from Hebrews, if you'd like to have your Bibles ready. So the first reading is from Colossians, 1 Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, through him. And the second reading is from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 15. So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. morning everyone. Great to be with you again. If you've got your Bibles there, keep them open. We're going to be looking at those verses that we just had read to us. <clears throat> Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word and as we think about the whole ministry of one another and particularly teaching and admonishing, uh, do just work powerfully to help us see we've all got a role to play and equip us to do that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I am feeling slightly sad because the Olympics are finished. I love the Olympics. And it's not just because I love sport, which I do, and talk to my wife and she can tell you all about that. Um, it's really because the Olympics are not just a festival of sport, but there's just so many wonderful stories and backstories that you hear when you see the, tri uh, the stories of triumph and tragedy that are behind the athletes who are there and the countries that are there. And... I used to be an athlete, um, I wouldn't say I was exceptional, but I did used to like uh, running in athletics, and it's really the one time uh, every four years that I get to see world-class athletes, because they're not often on the screen, 
And I'm going to show you a couple of my favourite ones from this year's um, Olympics over in Tokyo. Um, the first one is uh, Peter Bowl, the Australian Sud uh, Sudanese refugee. He came to the country when he was 10 and he ran first at Rio. He came fourth in the 800 and that race was the second most watched Olympic event here in Australia. Over 3 million people were watching as he tried to win gold that day. Unfortunately, he didn't, but still a great story. Um, the second one is Nicola McDermott. Now, I don't know if you know her story. She's the high jumper. She was the first Australian uh, or oceanic woman to jump over two metres. She got the silver medal. I sat up watching almost to the end, and I was delighted to see she's actually a very keen Christian. And there's some wonderful interviews about her talking about her faith as well as her victories. Uh, but the third one is Ash Maloney. Now, this person uh, behind me may not be as familiar to all of us. He won the bronze medal in the decathlon. And I love the decathlon because it's just this brutal event where these athletes who are just all-rounders have to do 10 different disciplines over two days. And he was really unknown on the world scene. A young guy who just kind of risen up through the ranks quietly and he was in second place for all of the first day. Now, all the commentators said he will probably fade away on the last day and not medal. Well, he managed to maintain his position in second and then he dropped down to third as the last event came. It was the 1500 metres. It was not one of his strong suits. And the guy who was fourth was strong. And so for him to retain the bronze medal meant he had to run a personal best. And the way he did it, because he did get the bronze, was his teammate, we had another guy in the race called Cedric Dubler, he ran as a pace setter. And I'm going to show you the picture of him. And just have a look at Cedric over here. Uh, Cedric basically just exhorted him and yelled at him and told him to keep going. Now, Cedric ended up dropping off the pace. He wasn't as fast, but he sacrificed himself and just gave it to Ash so that Ash could get across the line. And Ashley ran a personal best that day, and he got the bronze medal. And I love what he said about his teammate, Cedric. He said he was screaming. I can't repeat what he said. I could hear his voice bouncing in my cranium like a bat out of hell. <laughs> and I bring you that story because at the end of the day, Ash probably wouldn't have got the bronze medal unless he had someone alongside him who was yelling into his life and encouraging and exhorting him to keep going. And that's what he needed to cross the finish line and win the prize. And we're at the beginning of this series, One Another. And last week, Scott brought a beautiful message, a powerful message about the need for us to be loving each other. That is the whole context of the Christian church, that we've got relationships filled with love and that we are loving each other intentionally. Today, we're going to look at the whole range or need for speaking into each other's lives through teaching and admonishing one another because the reality is we need each other cheering for each other if we are to get across the line and win the prize which Christ Jesus has for us. And so let me start by reading for us um, the verse which is in... Uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 28 we didn't have this read but it's a very important verse which I think sets up what Colossians has to say that we had in our reading first of all from Deb Colossians 1 28 Paul says these words he is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ 
Now, this verse is in many ways a summary of Paul's ministry. And it really gives you an overview of what he saw that he was doing. There's a number of things to note. At the centre was his proclamation of him. He is the one we proclaim and he's talking about Jesus. And so Paul was a preacher of Jesus. And he did it in two ways. He taught the people and he admonished them. And we're going to look at those two phrases today in terms of how they apply to us. Teaching and admonition. And then the third thing we see here is that there was a goal in mind for Paul. He said, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And what this verse sets out for us is both the um, ministry of Paul, of preaching Christ, the way he did it by teaching and admonishing, and the goal for that ministry is to present people mature in Christ, which really is about getting people to the end of the line, ready to meet Jesus, that we are mature for the day that we see him, whenever that comes. And you could say that really is our goal here, if I could say that is my goal for us the church. It's to lead St. Matthew's, to teach, to admonish, and to preach Christ so that we grow to maturity. And what I want to look at as we think about this whole theme of teaching and admonition is what does it mean? Who actually does it? And how do we do it? So what, who, and then how? So firstly, what? Well, let's just think about those two words, teaching and admonition. Um, You could define these words this way. Teaching is really, if I could put it this way, and I've got on the screen there, instruction in the gospel. And when you look at Paul and how he taught, that's exactly what he did. He taught people about the Lord Jesus. And he taught people and instructed them about the implications of the Lord Jesus. And you could just take the letter of the Colossians and you can see this in very clear fashion. Uh, In chapter 1, there is one of the most magnificent statements and profound pieces of writing about the Lord Jesus in chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. If you're not familiar with it, go and read it. It is astounding. And as the letter goes on, he talks about the implications of who this Lord Jesus is and what he's done. And that's what it means to teach people. We explain and we teach what it means instructing people in the gospel. But then you've got the word admonition. And the word admonition is a word that means to warn people. Uh, It's a strong word. And it's not used often, but it is used significantly. And Paul says his ministry wasn't just to instruct people in the gospel and explain the gospel. It was to admonish them as well, to warn them. And it means to stick with the gospel. In other words, we keep believing it and we keep living by it and we keep living according to it. And if instruction and teaching has the whole sense of learning and knowledge... Warning and admonition is a word that speaks about our wills and how we're applying that knowledge of Christ to our lives and what we're doing with it, how we're living it out. Well, the question is, who gets to do this? Well, if you read uh, that first verse that we've just looked at, it's very obvious that Paul saw that that was his job. And in many ways, it summarizes what my job is, the teaching staff here at the church. It's what our job is as pastoral staff, to teach and admonish. And it's an essential part, an essential part 
of the pastoral role that the pastoral staff have, that we teach and admonish people. We proclaim, we admonish, we teach everyone so that we might present you mature in Christ. And if I can run on the Olympic theme, and I'm going to do this in a couple of ways here in the uh, sermon, um, think with me about um, this man, Dean Boxall. Now, Dean became very famous very early on because he is the coach of Ariane Titmus. And Ariane won four medals, two of them gold, including that famous first race she had when she defeated Katie Ledecky in the 400 metre freestyle. And she came from behind to clinch that gold. And everyone knows uh, what happened. Dean went absolutely crazy uh, and it went viral across the world. Now, why do I mention that? Because, you see, Ariane doesn't train by herself. She's an incredible athlete who had incredible discipline and drive to do what she did. But there was someone there cheering her on, instructing her, exhorting her, probably warning her about all sorts of things. And she was able to win the prize because she had her coach so closely beside her, spurring her on. And in many ways, that is the role of the staff here, that we spur you on, we encourage you, we teach you, we warn you, so that you might become mature in Christ. But what's fascinating is when you look at the second reading that we had today, and you can see it there on the screen. Let me read a key verse from that first reading, Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. There's a couple of things to notice here. Firstly is, in the first verse I brought from Colossians 1.28, Paul said it was his role to teach and admonish. Now though, he is saying in chapter 3, verse 16, it's your role. So how does that work? Well, I take it that what Paul is saying is that he has a very key role to bring the word of God alive in the congregation. That's his job, to teach it, to admonish. But the congregation also derivatively has a role to play as well. As that word that the apostle brought dwells in them, they are then to teach and admonish each other. In other words, there's a series of events that takes place. The first is there is the proclamation of the word within a church. The pastoral staff teach and admonish the believers. And what's to happen with that word as we receive it is it's to dwell in our hearts richly. In other words, we are to take hold of the word. We are to read the word. We're to learn the word. And more importantly... We are to use this word and we are to take it and to teach and admonish each other. You could put it in a different way. The word of God becomes alive amongst the whole congregation and all of us take hold of it and use it to build people up as well as to warn them. And so, yes, I've got a role to play, which is to lead the teaching ministry of the church. And the pastoral staff are absolutely critical in that. 
But when we think about the life of the congregation together and growing to maturity, we all have a very significant role to play because we all need to take this word, the word of the gospel, and teach it to each other and admonish each other. And it's interesting, it's in the context, uh, verse 16, chapter 3, of our worship life together, the sense of, uh, he says, with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. In other words, as the word grips us and brings us alive in Christ, we share that word as we rejoice in Christ. Now, the second reading that we had today uh, was from Hebrews chapter 3. And Hebrews as a letter the writer describes as an exhortation. And I thought I would bring this uh, reading as well because there's another word which I think is a very helpful word to describe this type of word ministry that takes place mutually within a congregation that is healthy. And it's the whole sense of exhortation or encouragement. Let me read to you two verses I've got on the screen there. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 from the reading Deb brought. See to it, brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And so we are to teach and admonish one another. What the writer to the Hebrews says is we're also to encourage one another. And that word has a very wide range of meaning. It can be in the hard sense of warning, It can be on the other side to encourage. It can be to spur someone on. And what he's saying is all of us have this role to play. We need to all together be encouraging each other on. And I want you to note a couple of things. All of us have this role, the writer says. But secondly, every person counts when it comes to the church. A number of times in the letter to the Hebrews, you get this phrase... Uh, where he says, so that none of you. And what he's saying is, every person, every member of the church is significant and needs to be thought of. And he says it here in the context of none of us being hardened by sin's deceit. In other words, everyone counts. And because every single person counts, all of us are required to make sure all of us are walking faithfully with Christ and growing to maturity in him. You see, think with me. If it was just the pastoral staff who taught and warned people and no one else took upon them to actually pick up the word of God and apply it to other people's lives, what do you think would happen to us as a church? Well, I reckon there'd be two things that would take place. Firstly is the pastoral staff would burn out because every person counts. And so for us to pastorally engage with every person, it would be impossible. We would burn out as we try to encourage personally people. But the second thing is you'd have a very weak church because you wouldn't have a place where the word is dwelling richly in the whole congregation. You'd have a place that is sick and just listens to the pastor on a Sunday and then just thinks about it and goes on their way. 
there would be no sense of body life, of mutual ministry, of men and women strengthening each other, exhorting each other, encouraging each other, and when occasion is called for, warning each other in the gospel. You would not have a church where the word is dwelling richly. Every person counts and so everyone is necessary. But there's a second reason that you see here in this passage for why all of us are needed in terms of this endeavour of bringing the word of God to bear in our lives. And it's a sobering truth. Uh, We have sinful, unbelieving hearts that are in danger of being hardened. And here's a sobering truth for all of us. I was reading a book just recently on leadership and I put it this way. None of us, myself included, are immune from this. There is sin in our church. And I think when we think of that, we think, oh, is there some major sin that I didn't know about, some major you know, controversy? Well, no, all of us are infected with sin. All of us have a capacity to harden our hearts to the gospel. All of us will on occasion struggle with doubts all of us on occasion will be tempted by this world all of us will grow weary and our hearts will think maybe I'll just give up maybe I'll stop believing and all of us will struggle with the reality of sin and frailty and if that is the case what the writer to the Hebrews says is well that means all of us need to be encouraging each other and it's interesting the way he says it encourage each other daily in other words it's this reality of and I don't think it necessarily means every single day but it's the reality that literally we are regularly in communion with each other and we're spurring each other on it's everyone's job to use the word of God to cheer everyone else on let me give you my final Olympics illustration on this I wonder if you remember the 2000 Olympics and the man who was affectionately called Eric the Eel. I mean, it's a dreadful name, (laughs) but that's what he was called. And everyone knows Eric the Eel from the Sydney 2000 Olympics. His name was Eric Musambani Malonga. And he was a athlete, I say athlete from Equatorial Guinea, who heard about the fact that they had been granted some wildcard entries into the Olympics. And they basically announced, would anyone like to go in the swimming event? He was the only one who turned up to apply. The interesting thing was, he couldn't swim. (laughs) And so eight months before the Olympics, he learnt and began to learn how to swim in, I think, a 20-metre pool and also in some of the rivers nearby. And if you saw the race, it was a famous race because he took off and he swam by himself. There were actually meant to be three in the race. They, the way they organise the races is with the heats. The slowest qualifiers go in the first races and the fastest go in the last. Well, he was in the first one because he didn't even have a qualifying time. The two other athletes who were meant to swim with him fell off the blocks early with false starts and were disqualified. And so he swam the race alone. And honestly, he, it was 100 metres, he got to the end of the pool, I've seen the race, and he turns, and then he starts swimming, and seriously, you wondered if they needed the lifeguards that day at the Olympics. And this is what he said, in the last 50 metres, to be honest, I was so tired, I was going to stop. I couldn't feel my legs or arms, everything was very heavy. 
when I had people clapping and cheering my name, they gave me more power to finish. Eric Musambi, Eric the Eel. And I love that. He made it to the end because of the crowd that cheered him on. It wasn't his coach this time. It was the crowd. It was everyone together who got him across the line. And it's such a beautiful picture, I think, of us as a church. That we take the word of God and we cheer each other on with it. So that we all cross the line mature and ready to meet Christ. Let me finish with my third point. How then do we actually do this teaching and admonishing? Well, I've got three words. And I think the first one is this intentionally. And what I mean by that is, this will only take place if we value the word of God and it actually is alive in the church. Because I think about that uh, verse, Colossians 3.16. We teach and admonish each other when the word of God is dwelling richly in us. And that's why, if I can say individually, the way we handle and value and use God's word is so important. And we as a congregation need to intentionally be reading it and loving it and learning it and memorizing it and obeying it. And I think one of the most important disciplines is actually reading your Bible every day. And one of the things I try and do is read Old Testament and New Testament. And I also try and write down a verse that has spoken to me from my readings. And I've got a journal and I write them out. And the reason I bring that to us today is because it's one thing just to pick up the Bible and just read it. But it's another thing to dwell on it and to think about it. And you see, the more we dwell on the Word... And think about it, the more it will become a part of us. So that we can then teach others and share with others and encourage others with it. We can just speak out of the overflow of our life of what we've been learning and what's given us joy and what's given us hope and what's given us strength. And the reason I encourage people to write it down is because as you write it down, it will just help you learn it more. And that word will dwell in you. Because I think the way this ministry takes place is it's organic. It flows out of our hearts as the word is richly dwelling in them. And if you want to be someone who takes this to heart and actually does this, because that's what we're called to do, let the word of God dwell richly in you and read it and journal on it and pray it through so that it becomes a part of you and you can share it with others. I think the second thing I'd say is we need to not just be intentional, we need to be positive with the word. The word has this incredible power. And I was thinking about the current context that we're currently in. And I mean, three, three things struck me. It's a one in 100 year pandemic we're going through. But also it's about the third or fourth lockdown we're going through and this one is far worse than any other one I think in the country and there's no end in sight is the reality which we know and because of that we're facing mental health challenges and so how will we get through as a congregation 
Well, I can share with people and the staff can share with people the word and bring that to bear in their lives. But all of us can be doing that. And I was thinking about specifically what verses can we be learning and sharing and reading together and praying into each other's lives. And here's three verses for you that you can learn and that you can share with someone else who is doing it tough. Because the incredible thing about the Word of God is it has got a strength and a power. And if you think about last week and this week, last week there's this sense of tangibly experiencing God's love through the love of His people, which is so profoundly important. But we also need to hear from God personally, and that's what happens when the Word of God is dwelling in us. So Philippians 4, 6-7, to write this one down. Go and read it, learn it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's a verse you could read with someone who is struggling, who is anxious. And I'd encourage you, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Write it out, learn it, and share it with others, and pray it for others. Second one, Psalm 46, verse 10 and 11. In the chaos that we're going through, it is so good to be reminded by him that he's in control. And Psalm 46, verse 10 and 11 are those famous verses. He says, speaking of God, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You could write this out on cards and give it to people to remind them God is in control. He is on the throne. And by doing that, you'll be teaching and encouraging people to stick with it and to finish the race. Psalm 46, verse 10 and 11. There's a second great verse. I think the other thing we need to keep reminding people and exhorting people and calling people to do is keep coming back to Jesus and finding strength and hope from him. And Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, write that down. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 are wonderful verses that do that. It's the Lord Jesus speaking to us. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I'll let you read the rest of it. But there's such great verses to read to people and exhort them and call them to remind them that in this crazy period we're going through, we can find rest with Jesus. You see, how do we actually do this? We intentionally have the word of God dwell in our hearts so that it becomes alive in us. And then with a gentleness, we take that word specifically and apply it to situations in people's lives that we know they're going through and we pray for them we pray with them we read it to them we give it to them but the third thing I say is gently because all of us will have times when we might doubt God and we might doubt doubt his plans and purposes for our lives because of what we're going through it could be some very tough times that we go through There'll also be times when we're tempted to stray from God's ways. And I see this every year. And what I'm most encouraged is when I see people from the congregation go to those people and walk with them to bring them back on track. And that's what admonition is doing. It is gently going to people who are straying and warning them gently and bringing God's word to them gently to say, come back. 
get on track with Jesus. Don't be tempted by whatever you're going through or whatever is presenting itself to you. Seek to be faithful to Christ. And friends, the church is most healthy when they don't look to the pastor to do that. They say, what can I do to bring my brother or sister back on track with Christ? And I'm so encouraged when I see brothers and sisters say, look, can you just tell me what would be a good verse to read with them because I would love to go and speak to them rather than saying, oh, that's your job, Bruce. Now, no doubt it is my job. But we actually need to do this all together so that none will be lost. And I want to say we do need to do it gently. We need to be in relationships where we are speaking the word of God positively into each other's lives. But there are going to come occasions when we need to warn people to stay on track. I want to finish with a story, um, and it relates to a car trip I was on once. And many of you will know my dad uh, died very early in life, 36. I spoke about that just recently when I was very young. And he died through a car crash. And I think deep in my psyche is this concern uh, when I go on car trips that I'll fall asleep at the wheel and die. And the reason for that is I once fell asleep at the wheel when I was very young driving when I was 20 and literally the gravel on the side of the road woke me up. But a number of years back, about 15 years ago, it was the October long weekend. I can still remember it today. Uh, after church on Sunday, we'd gone up to stay with some people, some friends' houses at Barrel. And then on the Monday, we drove home. And I was tired after a very long weekend. And I can just remember feeling that wave of um, sleepiness come over me. I was in the car. I looked around. Kath was asleep. The kids were asleep in the back. And I just thought, I have to get off and pull over and rest. And then I saw a rest come, but a car came up on the inside and blocked me from going off and getting off the road on the freeway back to Wollongong. And then the most terrifying thing happened. I actually fell asleep at the wheel. And when I think about this, my heart races. And the thing that woke me up were those little bumps that are on the side of the road. And it just jolted me awake. And I remember just, I was terrified and horrified because I was doing about 100 kilometers an hour. It was the freeway. And I thought if it wasn't for those bumps, I was asleep and I would have gone off the road and I could have killed the whole family. And I tell you that story because we're all on a journey to meeting Christ in the new creation. When one day he will raise us from the dead. And the road that we are journeying on, the straight line in the middle of it is the gospel that we're being taught every week. But there's also bumps on the side of the road to warn us when we're straying, when we're tempted, when we're sinning. And friends, we need both the straight line of the gospel to be teaching that to each other. But we also need the warnings and the admonition of a brother and sister in Christ coming alongside someone saying, let's get on track and get back to following Christ. And we need both things happening in our church as the word dwells richly in us. We need to teach each other and remind each other of the great truths of the gospel. But when we start to fall asleep at the wheel, and we're veering off for a car crash. 
we need brothers and sisters to put our arms around them and to gently steer them back. So let us be a church that absolutely loves each other, where the word of God is alive and dwelling richly in us, and where with great love and gentleness and intentionality, we teach and admonish each other so that all of us make it to the end and none are lost and we become fully mature in Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. May it dwell richly in us and may we all faithfully make it to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.